Morning, church. Uh, as you can tell, we're in a little bit different setting than uh, we've been coming to you during this time of the COVID crisis. And um, for that, we're grateful for uh, Calvary Temple Church for letting us use their gym. And I think you'll understand why uh, it fits the, uh, the setting of this message in just a few moments. But before we dive in, I just want to stop and ask God's blessing on uh, this time and also on Calvary's efforts to do the same thing we're trying to do. And that is bless the church in a very unusual time. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for uh, your grace. Um, I want to thank you for uh, the grace of the Calvary Temple Church, uh, for Del Way and Josh and all the ministers here who have made uh, this possible for us today. Uh, we're grateful for what you're doing in the body of Christ, the oneness that we feel, the, uh, the teamwork that we feel like we've been called to, uh, to let a world know that your son came and that it matters. So please, not only bless our time together today, but uh, all of our brothers and sisters of Christ over Kerr County who are uh, endeavoring their best to get the gospel out to their family and also to the county, the country, and even around the world. Thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had a chance over the last couple of weeks to um, talk to many of you over the phone and to hear how you're doing in the midst of this COVID crisis. And one response that keeps coming back over and over again is just the joy of getting to spend more time with family. For those of you who have family and they've been uh, all over the state and maybe even all over the country. Uh, and if you're Cindy Schrader, all over the world. Uh, but one of the blessings is to be able to talk and play games, watch favorite shows, eat home-cooked food. But that's also a little bit of a two-edged sword because uh, it also has meant uh, some arguments about um, what to watch on television television and some arguments when we've been talking. Uh, there have been losers in some of the games that have been played that's had to be negotiate, no, negotiated. Um, so there's been as much agitation as there has been elation in the time that we spent together, which made me think this week a lot about basketball. Love playing the game. I love the constant movement. I love the challenge of putting the ball in the hoop. Love the competition, the teamwork. Uh, but man, I hate the fouls, uh, both getting called for one and also for um, experiencing them. But life is a lot like a competition on a basketball court. It's not if you're going to get fouled, but when you're going to get fouled. As a matter of fact, if you play the game with intensity and effort, uh, not only are you going to get fouled, but you're going to foul. And sometimes those fouls are even flagrant. But the important thing is in both life and in basketball is to remember uh, it's not about the fouls, it's about the goal and keeping your mind fixed on what that goal is. And so this morning I'm going to talk a little bit about that because if we're not careful with how we handle our fouls in life, uh, it's going to place us into another setting, a cell. A little bit more about that later. But let me ask this, what's the right way to respond when someone's wronged you, when somebody's fouled you? One way to handle it is to... Um, act in a way that this employee from United Airlines did. She was uh, dealing with a gentleman who came to her little ticket booth, uh, dressed to the nines, wearing his Armani shades, and was giving her just major grief. He needed to change a flight from San Francisco to Santa Monica. Well, United didn't fly to Santa Monica. And so she did her best to try to explain that, and he just went, um, went off. He was insulting her intelligence. He was using obscenities. But her courtesy to him never wavered. A businessman who was next in line after the rude dude finally left said to the lady, I just want to compliment you on the way that you handled a very difficult customer. Jesus would have been proud of you. 
<laughs> she smiled and she said, I, I don't know if he would have. Um, well, I don't get that because he was pretty pig-headed and you were just polite as could be. She said, well, I did get him on his plane to Santa Monica, but I did send his luggage also to Singapore. Now, am I the only one who loves stories like that? No, we all love stories like that. We just don't like admitting it. We like vengeance. We like payback. As a matter of fact, Americans spend millions of dollars a year on movies that are not centered on forgiveness. No, our wallets declare that we like movies where the bad guy gets what they deserve, even if it means destroying an entire city in the process. We want to make sure the bad guy gets his payback. I mean, after all, doesn't the Bible say something about an eye for an eye? Yeah, it does. But Jesus says, if we live eye for an eye, it's not going to be long before the world is blind. You see, just because something feels good doesn't mean it does good. And so when you respond to your fouls with anger and resentment and payback, we've just increased the amount of ugly in our world, not influenced it. And that's pretty common. Just look around. But Jesus expects those of us who've received his grace to respond in an uncommon way. He says this, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. If you do this, you will be true children of your Father in heaven. Jesus says uncommon grace is possible, even in the midst of the most uncommon of wounds. And he proved that, I think, didn't he? At a cross, you're going to get fouled. Even if you're a Christian, especially if you're a Christian, and not just by those who are in our culture, but those who are also Jesus' followers. That's why when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray about this new kingdom we're in, he said, remember to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, why would he include that? Because somebody owes you, don't they? Big time. Somebody owes you an explanation. Somebody owes you an apology. Somebody owes you some respect. Somebody owes you the truth. Somebody owes you the faithfulness they pledged to you. See, the fact is, the church is always going to be a fellowship of the fouled. However, while we rarely get to choose our wounds, we always, always get to choose how we respond when we've been wounded. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 says, we have two choices. Number one, to see to it that no one is left out of God's grace. Or number two, to see that this poisonous root of bitterness grows up not only in us, but also corrupts many. Brother, when you get fouled, you can choose to get bitter, or as the old saying goes, or we can get better. I hope you choose to get better, because that's uncommon grace, received and given. Now, I, I don't play video games. <laughs> I can't sit still that long. But I saw and heard of a video game that was hugely popular a few years back, and everybody out there that plays video games probably has played this one at least once, Angry Birds. I think I understand the idea behind the game, though. There are some birds that are very angry. Why they're angry, we're not told. But they're angry at some pigs who live in structures who need to be punished. And so with a subtle punch of a thumb, the birds are launched into their structures, which collapse on top of the pigs and brings about victory. Question, what happens to the birds? Answer, they blow up. <laughs> Next question, so why do I want to be an angry bird? If I'm going to destroy myself in order to win, did I really win? The moral of the game, I think, that rarely, if ever, do you hold on to a wrong and have that turn out in life right. So you've got to make a choice when you get fouled, and you will get fouled. 
Will you choose to hold on to the common bitterness of our day or will you choose to offer uncommon grace? Church, I believe we're a group of folks who have been so blessed by God, we wanna make sure that we get better, not bitter. And here's why, because number one, it erases false labels. Have you noticed bitter people are quick to justify how they feel? And they're eager to give an account to anybody who will listen about how they were fouled? The problem is, is when we refuse to release our fouls, we then start to rehearse our fouls, and that leads to resembling our fouls. And we all know people who have let their wounds become their identity, don't we? You're the person who was abused. You're the child who was neglected. You're the business partner who was cheated. You're the parent who has been disrespected. And long after the foul, you're still in a cell because your wound or your loss became your label. Well, here's the truth. You can't be free as long as you have a false identity. Some of you may recall the name of J.C. Duggar. In 1991, as an 11-year-old girl, she was abducted by a sex offender. For 18 years, she basically lived as his slave. And you can probably imagine the unspeakable indignity she experienced. Then as a 29-year-old woman, she gets rescued. But just because she was rescued didn't mean J.C. was free. I can't begin to imagine all the horrible memories that she had to fight through to lead any semblance of a normal life. Well, seven years later, she published this book called Freedom. One of the most powerful lines that came out of this book is this, I am so much more than what happened to me. I am so much more than what happened to me. Friend, you don't want to be the person that when people see you coming, immediately think of what happened to you. And you don't have to be. Because when we welcome uncommon grace into our lives, we find our identity in what Jesus has done for us, not in what someone has done to us. Paul writes in Colossians 3 and verse 12, Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Church, here's our kingdom identity. God has chosen us and has made us His holy people. He loves you. At your core, at its most basic level, you are the beloved and trusted child of God. There is, that is who you are. Now, when you know who you are, look at the next phrase that's in this text. Paul says, make allowance then for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you also, so you must forgive others. Now, I don't know how you hear that, but what it says to my heart is this. Grace doesn't just change your past, but it does keep me from being chained to my past. Because uncommon grace will not allow your wound to become your label, if you let it. Even more, uncommon grace will not allow you to label the person who fouled you. Familiar with the actor by the name of Mel Gibson? He's the guy there on the right. He starred in and directed Braveheart. Great movie. He produced and directed the amazing movie, The Passion, that many of you saw during the week Holy, we call Holy Week. Some protested that when he made The Passion, that Mel Gibson with his history of moral failure, had no business talking about Jesus at all. I mean, if you're also familiar with Robert Downey Jr., who's on the left there, he had his own issues with substance abuse and addiction. He spent, as a matter of fact, a great deal of time in rehab centers and in jail. He actually became a pariah in Hollywood, of all places. And then he had an amazing comeback. A couple of years ago, there was a black tie affair, and he was given a Lifetime Achievement Award by his peers in the film industry. And to his surprise, Robert Downey asked Mel Gibson to join him, join him up on the stage. Here's what he said. When I couldn't get sober, Mel Gibson told me not to give up hope and encouraged me to find my faith. I could not get hired, and so he actually cast me in a movie that was developed for him. 
More importantly, he said, if I accepted my responsibility for my wrongdoing and embraced that part of my soul that was ugly, I would become the man that I wanted to be. Well, I did it and it worked. And all Mel asked in return is that someday I would help the next guy in some small way. Well, it's reasonable to assume, he went on to say, that he didn't imagine the next guy would be him, nor that someday would be tonight. And so on this special occasion, Robert Downey said, I would like to ask Mel to join me up on this stage, but also ask you to forgive my friend his trespasses and offering him the same clean slate that you gave me. Wow. That's the powerful thing about grace. It just does not let you label people. As a matter of fact, it erases false labels. And number two, it embraces true forgiveness. Uncommon grace embraces true forgiveness. Now I'd contend that the clear signal that you're living under common grace, which you know in our country basically amounts to courtesy or manners. I'd contend that the clear signal that you only understand common grace if you're insistent that you get paid back. If your experience with grace is that you're not willing to give it, brother, you still don't get it. Peter comes to Jesus one day and he says, in this kingdom you keep talking about, it all sounds great, but people still do bad things. And so I'm just wondering how many times do I need to forgive somebody who keeps mistreating me? Seven times? Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Now, I don't know if Peter could do the math on the spot there, but I do know his eyes probably betrayed him saying, whoa, no way, because Jesus comes back and says, let me tell you a story. There was a wealthy king who decided to call in some of his outstanding loans. And so he gets the record of them and sees this one fellow owes him like a gazillion dollars. Now, actually, the text it probably says something like 10,000 bags of gold, but he's trying to be preposterous here. Uh, it's an amount of money that no way in the world that this guy could pay back in a in hundred lifetimes. But the king orders him to be thrown into debtor's prison right along with his wife and his kids. We pick up the story in Matthew when Jesus continues saying, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt and he let him go. Wow. He didn't just forgive the debt, he forgave the arrogance of the fool who thought he could even pay it back. So the very first thing that I think Jesus wants to take away from this is that when you think about the kingdom and our life in it, that we must never forget how deep our need for grace is. So sister, if you've been bothered by how much somebody owes you and you haven't been bothered to remember how much God has forgiven you, something's wrong. Professor at a seminary asked a question of his students. Describe a day that changed your life. And one lady raised her hand and she said, well, back in high school, I lived in the inner city. And the school was in a, a tall building in town and so they had to keep the windows down for ventilation. And that meant that we were inundated with street noise. It would particularly annoy the teacher, especially when the ambulances would go by. And he always complained about uh, particularly just the unnecessary racket he felt like that uh, sirens brought when they were going down the street. But one morning he comes into class and he apologizes to the class. He says, I just want to say I'm sorry for the poor attitude I've displayed here, not just in general with the noise that comes from outside, but specifically toward those who drive ambulances. Because you see this week, um, an ambulance arrived at our home this Saturday is to be specific. And um, if they hadn't gotten there as quickly as they did, I would have lost my wife and I would have lost our newborn baby. And so he apologized to his class with these words. I'm sorry that I became so annoyed with the noise that I wasn't thinking about the lives. Friend, would you please consider that all the while that you're being frustrated with somebody else and what they've done to you, perhaps maybe the Spirit is helping you to hear just how much you might need the very same thing that you're complaining about. Church, when you forget your own debt, 
you wind up behaving disgracefully. That's where Jesus takes us next. Look at what happens. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him and said, pay back to me what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Now, I don't want to dismiss 100 silver coins as no big deal. It was several months wages. But compared to what this man had been given, how could he be so unforgiving? Well, the question needs to be asked of us, how can we think we should receive extravagant grace from God when we live as entitled misers who hoard it and who dole it out so sparingly that we've almost, it seems, forgotten how generously we've received it? Well, the ungrace of the servant gets back to the master, and we know how the story ends. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Brother, the stunning thing about this story is that the master's not just upset about the ridiculous amount of debt this man had incurred, that he actually thought that he could pay it back, but that he didn't treat the debt of someone else just like he'd been treated. One takeaway from this story for me is this. If I'm ever to offer grace to others like Jesus expects me to, I'm going to have to cherish the grace that I've been offered. I'm going to have to remember the grace that's been offered. Which is why every single week, a little tray comes by and it's got some bread in it. And we're asked to break it off and to place it in our mouths. And then another larger tray comes by with a cup in it and some juice in it. And we're asked to drink that. This little meal is a symbol of this incredible Niagara Falls grace that God has poured into our lives. And Jesus says, when you do this, I want you to remember me. How often? He didn't say. As a matter of fact, for many of the early church, they did it every single day because from our earliest days, we realized we needed to remember the magnitude of the grace that we've received if we've been expected to give any of it to anyone. Now, I want in no way to imply that forgiveness is easy. Please don't hear that. The cross, I think, shouts that. It's demanding because part of forgiveness is the absence of excusing. What they did was wrong. You got fouled. It may have been flagrant. It hurt. And so we don't forgive because the offense wasn't that bad. We forgive because God's grace is just simply that good. Forgiveness is also not forgetting. I don't know who in the world came up with a statement, forgive and forget. That's not in the Bible. Besides, you couldn't forget even if you tried. Forgiveness is simply just canceling my desire to pay you back. And it's canceling my need to get paid back. It's simply saying your debt's released. The slate's been wiped clean, just like God's wiped my slate clean. The best way I think to describe it is this way, to demonstrate it. For those of you who aren't fans of NBA basketball, you may not have known that Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas were absolutely best friends. Both were Division I scholarship athletes in college. Both were All-Americans. Both were drafted in the first round of the NBA. Both led teams to the NBA Finals. Both won championships in those finals. But they shared much more than excellence on the basketball court. They shared birthdays and they shared holidays and they shared vacations. They were the best of friends. When they played against one another in the NBA Finals, it took the world by storm that they actually kissed each other before the finals began. But the sports world was also shocked when in the midst of Magic's passion in 1988, it was game four of the finals. Isaiah Thomas drove the lane, was about to make a layup, and he got an elbow to the face from Magic. 
When the foul was called, which it should have been, Isaiah looked absolutely incredulous towards Magic. And Magic just simply said, get over it. Well, he didn't. Several months later, Magic Johnson was diagnosed with AIDS. And in an interview, Isaiah in public to the press questioned Magic's sexual leanings. It was when we were first beginning to understand what AIDS was all about. And anyway, it was just a mess. Magic took huge offense to that. Two years later, when the Olympic Dream Team was assembled, Magic led the charge to keep Isaiah off. And thus began a 30-year not speaking to one another. What seemed like a family relationship had turned into a family feud. And then one week, moved by God's encouragement, moved by their family's encouragement to forgive, both of these men went public with their efforts to reconstruct a relationship that they had once done their best to deconstruct. Let's take a look. I would say to you, this has been a tremendous day, right? My wife, my mother, my father have been saying, y'all need to get back together. Yeah. So when everybody called, I said, no question, we're going to do this. And just to sit across from you and have those relive those moments of fun, excellence, working hard, dreaming big, because we were dreaming of moments before we were even, who, who, who stood up at 19, 20, 21, dreaming of stuff we wanted to do, and now here we are doing it, you know? But you are my brother. Let me apologize to you if I hurt you that we haven't been together. And God is good to bring us back together. Am I right? I know, man. It hurt me, too. <laughs> Come here, man. It's all good, baby. Okay? It's all good. It's crazy. It's one of those things, like, we had to go through, but we threw it, brother. Okay? I'll always be here. Oh, come on, man. I always know. I know. I know. I'm still mad that you beat me. <laughs> Life's a lot like basketball. Everybody gets fouled. Hall of Fame celebrities and Little League coaches. Moms and medics, homeowners and the homeless. Those close to God, those far from God, all of us get fouled. But you know what's powerful to me having watched this video? Is that Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson show us that you're never too big a person to admit when you've acted small. So let me conclude by saying this. Friend, there's no grace button that you push and everything's all, all of a sudden fixed and just goes away. When you've been fouled, especially by a flagrant foul, you don't just forgive once in a moment. And that's a journey. You make the decision day in and day out to forgive over and over again. It's a process. So bank on it, that while you're in the midst of that process, the enemy is going to come. And I promise you in a moment of weakness and in stress, he's going to whisper in your ear, it wasn't fair. You deserve better. How will they ever make this right? You need to push back. You need to pay back. Don't you know how good it'll feel to make them feel bad? Now that's what you can expect. And maybe that might be fair. But here's what the faithfulness of God is going to whisper in your ear. Grace trumps fair. Grace is always unfair. And we would be totally doomed, church. I mean, helplessly lost if it wasn't. So the fellowship of the foul must always be the fellowship of the forgiven. Paul commands us in Ephesians, like a mother telling her child to clean their room, you get rid of all bitterness, 
and rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, you be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. One of the most vivid examples of late that encourages me that the grace of God really can move through me on the level that it's been extended to me happened a couple of years ago. Many of you are going to recognize this young man's name if you don't recognize his face. His name is Dylan Roof. And in June of 2015, if you'll recall, he entered a church in Charleston, South Carolina. And he had the audacity to go down to the basement of the church where 11 people were gathered for a Bible study. And he joined that Bible study. They sat around folding tables. The minister even gave him a Bible to use. And that study lasted for about 45 minutes. At the end of the study, the minister asked everybody to stand up and to join hands and to pray. Well, Dylan didn't join hands. But everybody bowed their heads, though. And as they started praying, Dylan pulled a pistol out of his waistband. And he then shot and killed nine people in that circle. All because their skin was a different color from his. And one of the women that he killed was Myra Thompson. Beautiful lady, great wife, amazing mother, school teacher to hundreds of kids. She didn't deserve to die. No, no one deserves to die in that kind of moment. But she left behind a husband and two girls that were absolutely heartbroken. Anthony Thompson was still a minister at the church that he had to go back to and work at every week in the place where his wife was murdered. In a documentary entitled The Active Shooter, he described for the camera the raw emotions that he went through during a court proceeding in which bond was about to be set for Dylan shortly after he committed his heinous crime. Going in, he told his two daughters, we are not forgiving this kid. If the judge asks, and he asks if we want to speak, we're not going to speak. We're going to stay in our seat and we're going to watch proceedings and that's all. That's not exactly how the day went. Their family arrived at the bond hearing and Mr. Thompson said, as soon as they sat down, an old familiar voice came out of nowhere. He said, I know that voice. I've heard it twice before. This was the third time. And the voice said, I have something to say and I want you to tell him. When the time came for the judge to invite the family of the victims to speak, Mr. Thompson got up and headed to the podium. His girls looked at him incredulously like, Dad, you told us we weren't going to say anything. When he got to the mic, he said this to Dylan, I forgive you. My family forgives you. But we would like for you to take this opportunity to repent, to repent and confess, and to give your life to the one who matters the most, Jesus Christ, so he can change it. And he can change your ways no matter what's happened to you. And you will be okay. Do that and you will be better off than you are right now. The judge said, thank you, Anthony. And he was seated. Anthony recalls then it was like someone was talking through me and I could see it. It, didn't like, it wasn't like I said anything. But when I got back to my seat, there was this peace that I experienced. I've never experienced in my life it was like all the anger, all the frustration, all the madness, all the crying, all the hurt, all of that stuff I could feel being pulled out of my body. I felt so light. I felt so good. I felt so peaceful. I thought, I need to tell my kids about this. And then I realized that the Lord had told me to say this for me. Myra, he said, if she could speak, would tell me that this is what God wants from us all. And he wants from me every day. And he says, the truth is, we can't offer it if we've received it. Church, when you extend grace to another person, that does not mean they will enter the kingdom of God. But I do believe this, more of the kingdom of God will enter you. True grace, truly uncommon grace, it's hard to find. It's not very common in our world, but who in the world wants to settle for common? Lord, please let this be more of, of a time than just we heard a message about grace. 
let this be a moment when we remember the grace that's been poured into us and that you've asked us to open the valve and allow it to flow into the lives of others. You know how hard that is. You experienced the ungrace of this world like very few people ever do. And yet you extended grace to us from the cross by saying, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Help us to leave in the spirit of that, to live in the spirit of that, uh, maybe even right now in our family, but especially to those who've never met you and you want to become a part of that family. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.